Our exhortation today will be uh, from Brother Rodney Dodal. His scripture reading is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and to be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. See that no one render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, for your whole spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy purpose. Charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. That will hear our exhortation from Brother Rodney Dodal, entitled, The Principles of God. Certainly my pleasure, as well as the uh, pleasure of my wife, Sister Lydia, to be here with you all this morning. I bring you the love and fraternal greetings of your brethren in Richmond. Uh, we're very happy to be here that today. Um, before I begin, I just want to make note that uh, one of my earliest childhood memories is coming down to the uh, Orlando gathering many years ago um, and staying in the home of brother and sister Ira Stanton. And, uh, even as a young child, you know, at that age, you begin to develop a, a sense of the family and the community which we have. 
and the hospitality which is shown to us as we, we go and visit each other, you know, brethren who you may not particularly know um, at first, but certainly we're always uh, have that sense of love and fellowship one with another. So um, I hope that uh, my children at this stage will again uh, begin to develop that sense of, of family. My subject today is, is a very simple one. It's on the principles of God. And as brethren come up with exhortations, uh, certain things go through their minds or, or perhaps uh, prompt the thoughts. And this one came about with a discussion I had with my boss. Um, he was asked me some things about the religion that I believed in. And it came to the subject of uh, how we don't have uh, ministers, so to speak, that the brothers uh, take care of their duty, this particular duty. And he asked, well, what about the women? What do they do? And I was like, well, the women participate as far as, uh, you know, they have certain roles as far as Sunday school and so forth, but the role of speaking and exhortation is left to the brothers. Uh, at which point he told me that his mother was um, the deacon, our first deacon of her church, uh, wherever that was. And so his thought was everything was cultural. Everything is based on the particular culture you live in. And uh, hopefully these thoughts today are more around the thoughts concerning the principles of God, how they are everlasting, and they don't change from time to time. So that's really the basis of my thoughts today. We know that the world around us is ever-changing. Mankind increases in knowledge from year to year, bringing about changes which are described as progress, at least from a fleshly standpoint. These changes are not just scientific, such as better medicines, more comfortable houses, and better modes of transportation. There are also changes in morality and social interaction. In an ever-increasing spiral downward, actions which were once forbidden now become accepted as part of society and even defended as freedom of choice, especially in this country. While many, in, many recognize that society is changing, the popular mood is that our definition of morality must change with the times. This change is even incorporated in the churches of today. And we made a mention earlier of this particular man whose mother was a, a deacon in their particular church, a position of leadership which we do not um, subscribe to. What is missing in the minds and hearts of the modern public are the principles of God and a recognition that the Almighty does not change from time to time. We are told that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. We must not see God as a lawgiver who would change his laws from year to year at the direction of man. This would deny God's position as creator and our subservient role as his creation. Nor must we see the invariability of God as an impediment. God's laws are not an obstacle to work around. Instead, they serve a very simple purpose. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and read verses 12 through 13. This is Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning at verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, 
to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commanded, command thee this day for thy good. The keeping of the Lord's commandments are for our good, and they do not change from year to year and from century to century. So the same thought which was conveyed to Moses that it is for our good um, applies to us uh, many thousands of years later. All is based on the simple principles of God, and it is by those principles that we will be judged. Concerning the judge before whom we must stand, the scriptures say, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. This is an important note. There will be only one standard given by which all saints will be judged. So if we stand at the judgment seat beside Moses, beside Daniel, beside Peter, James, and John, there will be one standard by which we are all judged. The level of acceptable behavior will not change for the saints who lived in the last days of Gentile times versus those who lived in ancient days. Having recognized that God's ways and commandments are unchanging, we must ask ourselves, what are the main principles of God? How are our actions to be guided? And this question is very simple to answer. We will turn to the words of our Master in Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, beginning at verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reason together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love His neighbor as Himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He answered discreetly, He said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask Him any questions. The motivating factor on which our actions must be based is that of love. This is something we should never lose sight of. Primarily, the love of our God. Secondarily, the love of our fellow man. Nor must we confuse this order and place the love of our fellow man above that of the love of God. If we understand these two principles, with all their implications, we will not be far from the kingdom of God. We are told, but this we know that we love the children that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments.
For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. The method by which we serve God demonstrates our acknowledgement that he is our Heavenly Father, and our acceptance of his commands show our trust in his judgment, even if our fleshly minds seek different tendencies. We also must realize that these guiding principles have been unchanged from the beginning. We would like to take a look at the laws of God over the course of three major time periods since the fall of man. And these three eras, which I will call them the patriarchal, the mosaic, and the Christian. The patriarchal extending from the time of Adam until the establishment of the law of Moses. The second is the mosaic, proceeding from the giving of the law of God to Moses until the sacrifice of Christ. And then the Christian era extends from that sacrifice until today. We recognize through the biblical and historical record that over the course of 6,000 years of history, which is represented by these three eras, that man's attitudes concerning acceptable behavior have fluctuated wildly. Some of this behavior has incurred the wrath of God, such as in the time of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, Jerusalem in 70 A.D., various judgments recorded against the Roman world as shown in the book of Revelation, and there's many others which could be cited. True is the saying of Solomon that because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Despite this, there are men and women of faith in every generation who love the Lord their God and seek to follow Him and His commandments. The patriarchal time, as we mentioned, is composed of that time from Adam until Moses. The book of Genesis is primarily written concerning these times. A glossary reading of Genesis would lead some to believe that for roughly 2,500 years, which the book encompasses, that there was no formal law of God. We do not find chapter after chapter which encompasses rules and regulations as we do in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What we do find is men and women whose very actions point out the fact that the principles of God were guiding them. We believe that they had laws, but that they were passed on from parent to child orally, and of course that they were given initially by the angels in the garden. If we look at the various components of God's principles, we can see many of them manifested in the lives of the patriarchs. And if I can give some examples, in Cain and Abel, we see the importance of sacrifice and the importance of proper bloodshedding sacrifice. In Joseph, we see priestly garments. In Noah, we see a recognition of clean animals versus unclean. Jacob consecrated the uh, pillar of stone with oil and he paid tithes unto the Lord. And Jacob also, we see purifications when coming before the Lord as they came to Bethel. So this is just a, a small set of examples which you see components which were not mentioned until the law of Moses, and yet they existed prior to that time. So certainly God's laws and principles were in existence. We also see condemnations for murder, lawlessness, sodomy, stealing, fornication, and adultery. All these various examples in the book of Genesis um, in the lives of Cain, Noah, Lot, uh, the sons of Jacob and Shechem, 
um, and Joseph. Um, all these various components, we see that God's laws and principles were in effect. We can also see higher level concepts in action. We can see in Cain and Abel the importance of approaching God in the way in which he has specified and not the way man specifies. In Noah, we see the importance of marriage and the truth as well as the importance of standing alone. I'd like to take a little detour. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 5 and talk about this concept of standing alone. We're looking at Genesis chapter 5, verses 28 through 30. Genesis chapter 5, of course, records the generations from Adam all the way down until the days of Noah. And if we look at Genesis chapter 5, verses 28 through 30, we read, And Lamech lived an hundred eighty and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah five hundred and ninety and five years and begat sons and daughters. And we also think, we all always think of Noah as being someone who lived uprightly. And certainly the sixth chapter of Genesis tells us that he was upright and he was perfect in his generation. And this fact that he stood alone was not just from the people around him. It was within his own family as well. So you see here that Lamech begat sons and daughters, and yet none of those chose to be a part of, of Noah uh, and, and his beliefs. They chose to go the way of the world. So we must always be on our guard concerning that. There are many more principles which can be found in the lives of the patriarchs, but our point today is that these men and women were guided by the same principles which we are guided with today. God has not changed his standards nor his requirements for the saints. So let's move on to the Mosaic Dispensation. There's three points which we need to keep in mind when, when we look at the Law of Moses. And the first we'll look actually in the New Testament, Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Romans 7.12 reads, Wherefore the law, this is speaking of the law of Moses, is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. So we must understand that the law of Moses is the law of God given to Moses. And as such, that law was holy, just, and good. Its commandments were to guide the children of Israel around, for around 1,400 years until the work of Messiah would be completed. So... Because we know that the law of Christ succeeds um, and fulfills the law of Moses, we, we don't want to totally discount the law of Moses because it was given by God's hands and based on his principles. The second thing we want to understand about the law of Moses is recorded in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, beginning at verse 24, verses 24 and 25. Galatians 3.24 Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, 
that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, there we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The law of Moses was indeed a schoolmaster intended to provide basic practical knowledge on how to lead the children of Israel should lead their daily lives in service to the Almighty. It was intended for a distinct purpose and for a distinct period of time. And then the third point is Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The law was a shadow of things to come. However, it made no provision for eternal life. These promises came through the Abrahamic covenant and not through the law of Moses. The New Testament scriptures testify of the redeeming qualities of the law of Christ as compared to the law of Moses. This point must be balanced against the first, which was that the, holy, that the law was holy and just and good. From the law of Moses, again, we see a consistent message concerning God's principles. We are told in Deuteronomy, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And of course, that is what Christ was, uh, was quoting when he spoke to the scribes. And also in Leviticus we find, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. From these two principles we find the Ten Commandments are based. The first four concerning God, um, the first four are concerning God and our love towards God. That is, that we should have no other gods before Him, there should be no graven images, we should not take His name in vain, and we should remember the Sabbath. And the final six record how we can love our neighbors as ourselves, honoring thy parents, no, do not, thou shalt not kill, commit adultery, steal, lying, and covetousness. From these Ten Commandments, the Law of Moses details how the children of Israel should conduct their lives in detail. From how to worship God, to how to plant crops, how to tend livestock, how to deal with your friends, and how to deal with your enemies. To comply with everything in the Law at all times would have been a daunting task. Why then did the Lord institute all of these regulations? We would suggest that after living in the land of Egypt for so long, the children of Israel were very needful of detailed instructions on how to live a proper life. The idolatry and wickedness of the Egyptians would have been such that would have been all that they knew as they grew up, so that it was important that they brought that they were brought back to the principles which were guiding their father Abraham. If we look at the principles which are behind these individual details of the Law of Moses, we see the following. The priesthood, with its ordinances, showed that there was a need to approach God in a holy and upright manner. The laws pointed for the need to recognize sin and to seek forgiveness. 
The sacrifices pointed out that Yahweh is a forgiving God for those who come to Him in repentance. The feasts pointed out that there was a need to give thanks unto God and to rejoice for His oversight and His care which He daily provides. And the Sabbaths and the Jubilees indicated the need for faith in the Almighty who would make provision for those who rested. And of course, overarching all was the recognition in all of the symbols was that of a Messiah who would come. Overall, those under the law of Moses needed to understand the reasons why the laws were given and how the principles behind those laws related to the Abrahamic promises. A strict adherence to the laws without an understanding of these principles would, have be, would be of no eternal benefit. And for that, of course, we think of the Pharisees. They looked at the rich, ritual filling, fulfilling of the law, making sure they did every jot and tittle of the law, and yet they didn't understand the higher principles of God which were at work. The last era which we would like to talk about is the Christian era, which extends through our day. The proclamation of the principles of God is seen in the words and actions of Jesus, as well as the expositions we find in the epistles of the New Testament writers. In contrast to the style of the Law of Moses, much of the Law of Christ is declared in high-level principles. The believer then must study and decide how to apply these principles in their given age. This method is also much more adaptable to different ages and cultures because the principles never become outdated since they are reapplied as appropriate in each age. But this method of instruction requires more diligence on the part of the believers to strive to understand the principles which are to guide their lives. So if we take a simple example, the law of God doesn't say anything about we should obey the speed limits or not. That's something that's kind of specific to our day. But we do know that we are to obey the laws of man as long as they do not contradict the laws of God. So by declaring things in high-level principles, God was able to relay his message to believers in various ages and they can apply them appropriately. But of course, they have to understand those principles. For those who study the law of Moses, the challenge is to study the application of the law and try to find the high-level principles. But for those who, who study the law of Christ, the challenge is to study the high-level principles and understand how to apply it in their lives. And we see examples of this high, these high-level principles that they are hidden in the law of Moses because we see testimony of that in the New Testament. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, that is written... That he, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. 
So the believer under the law of Moses was required not only to know what the law specified, but also to understand why the Lord specified it. Another example is that the people were commanded not to sow two different kinds of seeds in the same field, nor to weave garments with both a linen and woolen materials. These commandments would be easy for the average Israelite to abide by, and yet how many would stop and ponder what the higher principle was behind these commandments? And this, of course, was the major failing of the Pharisees. Let's turn over to Matthew 23 and read verse 23. Matthew 23, beginning at verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. The Pharisees were able to follow many of the precise commandments of the law, but in doing so, they thought they were done. They lived the letter of the law, but missed the spirit. The principles behind the law, the judgment, mercy, and faith, were lost to them. The lessons of Christ are different. We are told what to do, but we must determine how to do it in our time. The verses in our reading of 1 Thessalonians provides us with some examples. So we'd like to turn back to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll read 15 through 22. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. To every, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Reading through these verses should bring a lot of questions to our minds. How can I pray without ceasing? How can I make sure that I don't quench the spirit? How do I prove all things? Our minds must be active in finding applications in our lives every day for these principles. Abstaining from the appearance of evil has many applications, for instance, from where we are seen, to who we are with, to what, to what we appear to be doing, even to what we are wearing. If we continue looking at the law of Christ, it should be even more questions. How do we keep ourselves unspotted from the world? How do we receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls? How do we draw nigh unto God? How do we humble ourselves in the sight of God? How can we cleanse our hands and purify our hearts? How can we be holy in all manner of conversation? 
How do we love one another with a pure heart fervently? How do we refrain our tongues from evil and our lips that they speak no guile? And how do we give diligence to make our calling and election sure? As brethren and sisters of Christ, we have all these commandments and many more. We must study them and apply them in our daily lives. We must comprehend these commandments in the light of judgment and mercy and truth. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. We know that God's principles do not change with the times. God's laws are as consistent as God himself, for they are a reflection of him. Our challenge is to understand his principles and follow the same course, regardless of worldly opinion. This will continue to get harder and harder as the days grow more and more like that of Noah's and of Lot's. But our God is faithful and true and has reserved for us a day of rest if we seek to apply his principles in our lives. We'd like to close with a reading from Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Here are more principles for us to apply. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Thank you.